think of the last speech or presentation that you gave. Maybe it was an announcement at work to a small group, or maybe it was to a larger group at church, or maybe it was a small group in your house. Maybe it was a birthday announcement. It was a baby announcement, or possibly to a room full of guests who paid to be there. Think of the next speech or presentation you're going to give. Regardless of size or setting, would it help you if you had a coach to boost your confidence in really nailing that talk? Well, I've got someone for you, and she's about to be your favorite person on LinkedIn. Welcome to the Impact Leadership Podcast, where we believe that no one drifts into excellence. I'm your host, Steve Shear, and today's episode is about effectiveness in public speaking, giving a talk that is actually memorable and engaging. Sound improbable? That's because you haven't met my guest yet. Eva Daniel is possibly the best speech coach in the world. Sarcasm aside, there's a high likelihood that you will get more value from her LinkedIn presence than most everyone else you're connected to. And that's me included. If we're connected, I'm throwing myself right in that pool because this lady is so on point, you will love her. Eva is the founder and owner of The Speak Shop where she helps thought leaders develop and deliver compelling content. She's a communication expert and is in your corner to help you grow your organization and make the impact you desire. Eva was the senior speechwriter for Dave Ramsey and his team of personalities, she knows what she's doing. And it's impossible not to like her. This lady is fantastic. She's a mom. She's a wife. She's got four little kids. And she's doing this thing. You are going to love her. I'm incredibly excited for you to hear this one. It's a little longer. And I blame myself for that. I was chasing my own curiosity and selfishly trying to get a little coaching for myself that maybe would help you well too. But the whole thing is fun and valuable. So here it is. Please enjoy my conversation with Eva Daniel of The Speak Shop. Thank you so much, Steve, for having me on this podcast. And we were chatting ahead of time and we didn't even get to talk about Wisconsin or four kids or all of the things. My only experience going to Wisconsin was quickly crossing over the border to eat some cheese curds to say that I had been to Wisconsin. I felt like, well, if I ate cheese curds, I have been there. You Um, have. Yes, cheese curds Okay, okay, counts. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, I am an entrepreneur. I own a company called The Speak Shop, and I'm a speech consultant. So I go in and I help execs and CEOs and leaders of companies, as well as professional speakers, just become more confident in both their content and their delivery. Um, I just I have such a passion for public speaking. I believe it's one of those things that we all use every day, no matter we realize it or not. And it's such an important skill to have. And before that, before I started out on my own, I was a speechwriter for Dave Ramsey and his team of speakers. And then before that, I was a radio podcast producer for for over a decade. And so I just love content and I love helping people become confident in the content they deliver, um, both in in what they're saying and also how they're saying it. So you you mentioned your your work history. You have a very interesting work history. You've uh, worked with and alongside and and been a part of some very influential and powerful people. So talk, if, if you could, just a little bit, just talk a little bit more about your professional trajectory over the past 10 years. And then any stories that you want to throw out there, please do. But I think this will help shed some light on kind of the, the winding professional paths that some people have when they're listening in and uh, your experience over the years. Absolutely. So I have worked with a lot of people. I jokingly say that I have met almost every famous person in kind of like the faith-based community, especially um, here in America, because I just have worked with so many people over the years. And when I started in my mid-20s as a radio producer, I was working at a company called Focus on the Family in Colorado Springs. And I started as an assistant producer, just interviewing potential guests and just kind of worked my way up through the ranks there until I was a senior producer. But But a lot of my job was just 
interviewing uh, potential guests. And so at that job, I I conducted like over 500 interviews. And what really came true with whether they were everyday people that know names, and if I tossed out their names, you'd have no idea who they were that were guests on the programs that just had these amazing stories, all the way up to these, you know, high level speakers like Henry Cloud or Patrick Lencioni or some of these different people. Um, what I found was that no matter, you know, the, the key distinguishing thing for anyone to be a great speaker is really your ability to tell stories and convey them. So I'm just really passionate about stories. And what I didn't realize prior to working, especially with Dave Ramsey, was how many hours people put into their craft to become really good. I think a lot of times we'll attend a conference or an event. And if we hear a really dynamic speaker, because they make it look easy, we think that it is easy, not recognizing how much time they've spent over the years, really not only refining their content to make sure that it does have that level of thought leadership, but also just the hours they've spent practicing. I was, um, I shared this story a lot, but it was, it was so amazing to me. It was a couple of years ago, two or three years ago, when I was still working at Dave Ramsey's company, I had helped rewrite Financial Peace University, some large chunks of that. And for those of people not familiar with it, Financial Peace University is an eight-week financial course in which people learn things like how to save and budget and invest in the future. And it's really the flagship product of what Dave Ramsey does. I mean, this is the content that he's been teaching for 30 years. So we were doing some refreshes, updates, you know, new stats, a few new stories, a little bit more relevancy. And we were getting ready to refilm it. And a couple days before we were going to film it, Dave came and he, he stopped by my desk and says, hey, come down. I want to run through my content. And he grabbed a handful of us to go down. And here I was thinking, oh, we're going to spend, you know, half an hour just kind of spot checking a few things. And he spent six hours practicing and running through his content. And to me, it was so humbling because, I mean, keep in mind, this is this is content. Yeah, I had a few updates, but this is content that he has literally been delivering for 30 years. And he still took six hours to run through it and practice it and refine it, got feedback, made sure it was as best as possibly could be. If he kind of stumbled over a part, he's like, okay, why am I stumbling over that part? Is it the content? Is the way I'd say it? He would iterate, he'd work on it. And to me, it was just such a example of what the greats do. Like great public speakers don't just roll out of bed and they're great. They've spent a lot of time working on, on it, both, like I said, both the content of what they're actually delivering, all the things they're actually saying, and then how they're saying it. What do you think drives a great conversationalist, a great speaker to do that? If you've delivered, I'm throwing uh, Dave in there because he's you know, on the table, but you can bring up whoever else you want. But what do you think drives them for 30 years, you know the content, to, to step back and allow someone else to essentially poke holes in the process or say, yep, it could be better if you did this? I think, you know, a big one is, frankly, is humility, um, which is, you know, something we don't, I don't think always talk about a ton in, in leadership, but I think that it's what drives them is just the awareness that they don't know everything and that they can be better. And I think that we all kind of have this to a degree, whatever we're passionate about is, it's like, I feel this way about public speaking. I talk about public speaking all of the time. I post a ton on LinkedIn. That's how you and I got connected. But I feel like the more I post about it, there's still so much for me to learn. There's still so much for me to grow. There's still so much for me to, there's so many nuances that I haven't even uncovered. And what I've seen in great leaders, you know, no matter if they work kind of like a smaller company of, you know, 50 people or 30 people, or if they work at these big companies, it's just sort of like wanting to truly be a student of the craft and a student of your industry. Um, and that's what I see in the people that are really great. They, they just want to dig in deeper because they want to learn and they want to grow so that they can better serve their customer or their client or the person on the other side of that content. This episode is brought to you by CCB Technology. You should not hate your IT. And if you do, we hope you don't hate your IT person. Yikes. And while CCB Technology can't help you with your anger issues, we can guarantee your satisfaction with our team of experts or we will give you your money back. Well, what the heck is CCB Technology, you ask? I'm glad you're thinking it. Well, uh, CCB Technology is the answer to your IT issues. 
from 24 by 7 help desk and network security to ensuring that you have a solid and tested backup plan for your data. CCB's team of engineers is what you're looking for. For example, if you don't know what's going to happen, if your building burns down with your data, CCB can help. If you're not sure what's going to happen, if somebody clicks an email with a bad link in it, CCB can help. We take time to listen to what ails you in the IT department and develop a customized plan of attack that is clear and has consistent costs because we know that you as a leader care about the dollars and cents of a thing. But what if it doesn't work out, you ask? Well, again, I'm glad that you're thinking that way because like I said at the beginning, CCB technology guarantees your satisfaction with all of our managed services offerings or your money back. And you can't beat that with a sick. I have tried. Anyways, you should let CCB technology make your life easier when it comes to your IT. We can work alongside your existing IT folks. We call that co-managed. Or if you don't have a team, we can be that for you as well. CCBtechnology.com. We make IT simple. Now, back to the show with my friend Eva. I, I had a feeling you would go there based on just the the short time that we were speaking beforehand and then and then also following you on LinkedIn, uh, that the hand-in-hand approach of humility and serving people, that um, the execution is one aspect of it, but the driving motivator behind it isn't just to be excellent at a thing, to get hand claps, but to serve people. So you want to do, do excellent work so that you deliver something of excellence to serve people, which before we get into the speeches any further... I'd love to hear, because you mentioned it a couple times, uh, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your approach to LinkedIn. I told you before we were recording, I'll say it now because people need to know this. Your content is so practical. The design is simple and appealing. And every time, just about, I look, you've got like another 500 more followers. <laughs> There's a reason for it. You're not a shock jock. You're not some crazy person that's lighting a room on fire to the sees, you know, what's the next thing that she's going to waste money on. It's not that kind of stuff. So you are utilizing LinkedIn in a very particular and thought-provoking way. Uh, what has your utilization of LinkedIn looked like over the past few years? And and just pull back the curtain for us and tell us a little bit more about what you do on LinkedIn. Well, I appreciate you saying that. I like many of your listeners was on LinkedIn for a very long time before I ever posted. I think I I I think I've been on the platform since 2008, 2009 when a boss at an old job said everyone needs to get on it and I would get on periodically to like, you know, accept some of the connection requests. And but then, you know, I don't even know when the turn came is when it started being this content creating platform. All I know is that I looked up one day and I realized oh, wow, a lot of people are posting here. And so about a year and a half ago, I just decided to do a little bit of a challenge for myself. And I said, you know, and I I had posted up until that point, I had posted three, four times. And, you know, my first post ever was this famous quote by Mark Twain about, you know, how long it takes to make an impromptu speech. So at least it was on brand, you know, my first post that I'd done four or five years ago. And it got, you know, two likes and one comment. I think the comment was an emoji smiley face, you know, very low interaction. Um, But about a year and a half ago, I was still working at Ramsey Solutions and I had started my side hustle speech consulting. So I had a few clients on the side and I looked over and I thought, you know what, I am going to just do a challenge and I am going to post every single day for three weeks. And that became, you know, spiraled in this challenge where I actually, you know, since then I've posted hundreds of times, I mean, over 500 times um, in, in that space. But it has been such a growth opportunity for me to refine what I think about different topics. And it's helped me process even what I think about different topics. And I've, I've thrown different theories out, you know, into the, into the LinkedIn vortex that have really resonated with people. And one of the things I would just encourage anyone who maybe is on LinkedIn but has never posted is just start start building your personal brand now. You know, I this last this last uh, year I turned forty, and this sounds like such a you know now that I'm in my forties reflecting back. But if I could give advice to myself in my twenties, so any leaders that you have twenties even early thirties, I wish that I had started publicly building my personal brand sooner. 
because I had great relationships and great, you know, personal brands in every company I'd worked for. People love working with me, you know, had great, um, just great experiences. But I would leave that company, started another company, and I have to start that all over. And so I think one of the things that's magical about LinkedIn, but I know for some that maybe that's Twitter, maybe that's Instagram, maybe that's TikTok. I'm not on those actively. But I think starting to build your voice, what you think about things publicly is really important. And also, it helps you refine what you think about different things. You know, for me, writing is such a clarifying activity because it makes me realize, well, what do I think about? Like I just this week I happened to, and I'm not sure when this will air, but this week I posted a carousel on body language. And I thought about body language and how it impacts our speaking, obviously numerous times before, but writing it down helped me really clarify, well, what do I think about this and what makes it good? And, and so for me, it has been such a growth opportunity to clarify what I think. And sometimes I tell this to my husband all the time, I'm sort of amazed that other people follow me because I post nerdy public speaking tips every day. I mean, when you look at the people that have huge platforms um, on LinkedIn, a lot of them are posting about mental health in the workplace or HR, or they're talking about LinkedIn. You know, a joke is to be successful on LinkedIn, you post about LinkedIn. Um, but so to me, it's just been, uh, it's been very fun to see, oh, maybe I'm not as big of a nerd as I thought. Other people like this content as well. And so it kind of reminds me a little of high school where it's like, you know, you get to high school and you realize, or college, you know, high school or college and you realize like, oh, there's other people that like this weird, quirky interest in me. And that's kind of how I felt a little bit on LinkedIn, just posting about public speaking. It's been exciting for me to see how many other people are interested in it. Yeah. And my called shot is you'll have between 50 and 100,000 followers in the next two years. Like it's oh, I mean, if we're going to say name it and claim it, let me name and claim that. I would love, I would I, love to see that. <laughs> I'll say, I'll say it for you. I, that's I, seriously that there's there's people that have followers because they gamify the system or whatever. Post about LinkedIn, sure. The, you're hitting a, a chord or a nerve or whatever the analogy is that resonates with people. Um, and before we get, I do have uh, locked and loaded some questions about speeches specifically, but before we move past the LinkedIn thing. Do you have like a daily or weekly process that you go through um, before you post or uh, do you lay out like the next several weeks posts or do you have a, I set a timer and I only do this much posting or this much content creation per day? Like what, what does that look like for you? Yeah, well, I, um, I go through seasons where I'm really on top of it and I plan out my my content using the scheduling tool that LinkedIn provides. That's on a good day. You know, on a on a good week, I call it content batching where you know, you spend however much time you have, 30 minutes, an hour, two hours, and you just write as many posts as you can or repurpose some older posts, you know, and kind of breathe some fresh life into them. Um, so on a, on a good week, I'll do that. I would say for those who are just starting out. Consistency is just a big thing. Whether you have time to post once a week or you know every single day, posting around the same time every day can be a really helpful tool. And there's a handful of other tools as far as you know, making sure your creator mode is turned on. And there's a little tab you want to make sure that you've turned off. People also viewed because otherwise you're giving all of your competitors basically free advertising on your wall unintentionally. Um, so there's all of these you know tips and tricks that other people far far more advanced into that LinkedIn world talk about. But one thing I would say just for myself, I do try to you know think out my content, but this is not my day job. You know, being a, uh, jokingly, I I told my mom the other day I was like I'm basically a LinkedIn influencer, which between you. And me, Steve, I'm totally not. And my mom goes, Oh, well, that's nice. I just planted some tomatoes. And I was like, okay, perspective, <laughs> you know, perspective right there. Um, but I I have decided, you know, for myself, I don't let I I don't spend more than 30 minutes to an hour a day on the actual platform. Sometimes because I nerd out on the content, I'll spend longer creating the content. But as far as actually on the platform, I limit it because I want to take um, conversations off the platform like this or in person over coffee for those in the Nashville area, or even jumping on a Zoom with someone to just talk and get to know them. Because to me, the power of LinkedIn is the networking component and meeting amazing people all over the world and taking that conversation beyond just a wall and a post to actual conversations like this. Yeah. So if you're uh, listening to this, um, this is for the listener. You could just pause this or 
do the Hey Siri thing and set yourself a reminder. Um, you you got to follow her. You have to follow Eva. She does this thing. But one of the things that she does also is uh, LinkedIn in real life is what she's kind of alluding to, uh, where she actually is meeting up with people and like taking it from the platform itself. And because there's people behind there and we're made for community and she lives this stuff out. So, all right, now back to the, the conversation here. That was my little reprieve, but I want to get into the speeches, uh, public speaking, keynote talks, uh, even company announcements. Let's start at the top and kind of work our way down. And this is a big one, but you can steer it wherever you want. What makes a killer speech? Ooh, well, I love that question. And there are a lot, um, there are a lot of pieces to it. But I would say, this is said from a content person, but truly content and delivery are two sides of the same coin called public speaking. And a lot of times people think their challenge is delivery related. Maybe they get nervous or they ramble or they don't know what to do with their hands. But I find digging in with a lot of my clients that it's it very closely ties to content. We don't have that clarity of what we're trying to say and how we're trying to say it. So a killer speech is one in which you have great content and you deliver it to the best of your ability. You're not trying to be, you know, whoever you admire as a speaker, whether that's, you know, Dolly Parton or George Bush or The Rock or anybody else. Your goal is to sound like the best possible version of you and represent yourself well and authentically. So what makes a killer speech is that you are authentically yourself, the best possible version of that and that you've provided value for your audience. And I think one of the biggest things that keeps us from that is procrastination. We wait too long to create the content and we wait too long to practice the delivery. Within that, a lot of what makes a killer speech is that you've actually run it by other people for feedback prior to delivering it to a group. And when I say group, you might be delivering something to three people on a Zoom call or 12 people in a conference room or a thousand at your company. But it's really important before you deliver a new piece, a good, you know, big piece of content to actually run it by someone else for feedback prior to delivering it. That gets some of your initial nerves out of the way. It helps you procrastinate a little bit less because you have that on your calendar. And it will help you refine your content to make sure that it's clear and compelling and communicated in a way that your audience will understand. It's good. Uh, do you have, this is my own curiosity, but do you have some favorite speeches or speech givers that people should check out on YouTube or something like that? Since this is a leadership podcast, I really enjoy Patrick Lencioni as a speaker. Have you ever mm -hmm. seen him speak? Yeah, he is. He is wild. So and he, breaks, he breaks a lot of rules um, in terms of like he's erratic with his movement. He's all over the place. But he's such an engaging speaker. And I think that what he does exceptionally well as a speaker, for those who have never heard him speak, um, he's a leadership expert. He's written a lot of books. He has the table group, his whole company on leadership principles. But what an interesting thing that he does as a speaker that I think that we can all learn from is that he engages the audience in amazing ways. He's not so focused on his content in the next point that he's not responding off to the energy of the room. He says, you know, at the front of his talks, hey, if you have a question in the middle, pop up, raise your hand. And people will pop up all throughout his talk asking questions, he'll answer them, but he is always able to get back to his main points and drive that content forward in the direction that he wants to go. Um, so just as far as speakers, he's one that I really like because you kind of never know what's coming and it keeps you on your toes and the audience. A lot of speakers, and I've heard hundreds and hundreds of speakers, we, you know, you, they're kind of unmemorable. They just kind of fade, but he's one that kind of pops for me. And then I personally tell people, a great way to learn how to be a better speaker is to just spend 20 minutes a day watching a TED Talk and, and just start with the ones that have received the most views. You know, go to the TED website. They have all the ones there, the ones that have received, you know, multi-million views and just watch some of these presentations. One, you're going to learn a lot about um, a, a variety of topics. But I think one thing that TED has really capitalized on, and I think at some point, you know, there'll be a new TED, if that makes sense, like a, a new platform. But for now, one thing I think they've done really well is they've really capitalized on how can you really get your message across clearly in nine to 20 minutes? 
And how do you make it compelling? And then about 65% of TED Talks are story-based. And I think a lot of us, especially I've given lots of presentations in the workplace as well. And a lot of times those presentations, like we are trying to get through data or just kind of boring, boring content, if that makes sense. But I think there's always space for stories. And I think what we learn from watching TED Talks is the art form and the ability to integrate stories to convey big and meaningful ideas. Yeah. So before we move off of this, I know this is another big question that, that I did not, uh, there's no prep here. <laughs> it's just curiosity. And I, it's, it's a good train of thought. What makes a good story to be in a speech versus a distracting story that just seems like popped into your head? So you should say it. Well, every speech that you give, and this is, and you know, I am using the word speech. Like I said, this might be uh, you know, a meeting with three people, but every speech you give or presentations you give needs to have one clear point. It needs to have a bottom line. What does this talk about? Is is simply in your own mind, you know, say it in one sentence. What does this talk about? And so any story that you share needs to tie into the point and point back to that point. Um, on storytelling specifically, we often think we're telling stories but we've actually kind of just given people a series of facts. So, for example, you know, um, I, you and I were chatting a little bit beforehand. I know that you have four kids as well. I also have four kids. And if I were to tell you the story of the birth of any of my kids, a lot of times we kind of tell our, our stories in the same way. Like if I was going to tell you the story of the birth of one of my kids, if I just told you like, oh, well, you know, I had my oldest son, Noah, in 2012, you know, I went in and was induced and ended up with an emergency C-section. But, you know, luckily he was healthy. I was healthy. And I'm so glad to have a son. Well, that's not a story. That's kind of a series of facts that I just gave you. But if I were to able to take that back and and say, well, okay, what did I feel when that happened? And if I were to tell, and what did I feel when that happened? What did I think when that happened? What were my five senses doing? And just kind of add that dimension to the story of going, you know, oh, when when I ended up being pulled back to emergency C-section, I remember feeling so scared. I remember thinking this wasn't the plan, you know, and if I started just kind of expanding out that story and adding in the details, it would bring that whole situation to life. And so when we think about in the workplace setting, like, okay, that sounds great, Eva, but I am giving a presentation on the Q2 marketing numbers. Well, are you excited about the numbers? Is it exciting for the team? Is it disappointing? Like, can you pull in some of the emotions? Can you tell the story of, of, you know, you guys, I have to be really honest. I was sitting at my desk last Friday and when I got these numbers, my heart sank because it doesn't represent I, who I know we are as a company and what we can do. But blah, 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 blah. And then you go on with, with the details of that report. So just kind of thinking through the dimensions of even if it feels on the outset that it's kind of a very standard presentation for you, uh, you know, you are just sharing some charts or graphs. Is there one interesting piece of data that you can pull out and draw an analogy? If you are giving a very numbers-heavy presentation, let's say that you really are sharing just a lot of graphs and a lot of numbers, is there one number within your presentation that you could pull out and instead of saying, oh, you know, our goal is to raise 100, you know, or, or let's say if you're in the nonprofit space and your goal is to raise, you know, um, $10 million, is there a way that you can make that number be more interesting, be more relatable, pull out a little tidbit of it of saying, because, you know, I'm pulling the story, the reminder of the work and why we do what we do, that it's not about raising the $10 million. It's, let's say we're in the foster care industry. It's about helping, you know, Jenny find a forever home or whatever the thing is, but just always looking for ways of, okay, how can I make this content more interesting through the use of story or through the use of humor? That's good. And <clears throat> I want to, I want to zoom in on, on you coaching people. Cause that's, you're kind of coaching us right now. Uh, so, which is great. But when you coach someone, where do you begin the process? Well, that's a great question because what I find is people start at very different um, points. So I tend to, like I mentioned at the beginning, either work with CEOs or high-level execs and then also speakers who also regularly have um, gigs on the books. But what I have found pretty repeatedly with uh, most people is they've never received clear and actionable feedback. So I always tell clients, 
I'm the person who comes in, listens to your keynote and says, hey, the 17 to 20 minute mark of your talk is really dry. You need some humor, maybe something like this. Or the 26 minute mark of your talk is the best point. Let's move that up to the open, but let's shift that story a little bit and start it here. And oh gosh, we took that out of the 26 minute mark. What are we going to put there? Let's, Let's shift content. So sometimes if they already have an established talk that they are preparing to give or maybe they've even given many times, I'll just have them give it to me from start to finish, or maybe they'll send me a video link and we'll just sort of like uh, deconstruct the talk and figure out, okay, what's what's work? What needs to be rebuilt here? Other clients come in with other challenges. Maybe they really, they, they're pretty confident in their content, but they really do just struggle with some of those delivery things like nerves or, um, you know, with, with just their overall like mannerisms on stage. Um, but one of the biggest things I would say I consistently help almost all clients with is I want people to figure out what is your thought leadership on the topic that you're giving. And we throw around that word, I think thought leadership sometimes a little too much, you know, in culture right now, thought leadership. But what I mean by that is anyone can say, you know, uh, for example, anyone can say, we need to have good daily habits and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, Stephen Covey said, here are the seven habits of highly effective people. Or James Clear in his book, Atomic Habits said, hey, you need to make identity formed, you know, based habits. And so what I like to help clients see is what what are you, your unique stories or experiences, professional things that you have done, what are your, you know, unique perspectives on this topic, and how are you going to say it in a way that demonstrates the thought leadership that you do have? Um, But like, let's figure out a way to say it that's not as, you know, generic. And and somebody gave me advice really early into entrepreneurship, and they told me that people buy systems, strategies, and frameworks. And that was a really interesting thing for them to them to say, but I've thought of that so many times and I agree also, and I think it translates to speaking, is that, you know, if you're giving someone five things like, well, could it be a framework or something just a little bit stickier? Or sometimes, you know, when we're creating comments that we're going to give in a presentation, we just kind of randomly slap the ideas down on paper. Let's say we have three ideas we're expressing. We haven't really thought, is this the logical order for those three to five things? Am I having my audience work at on all of these things at the same time, on one at a time? You know, like what am what am I what am I do trying to accomplish here? And so I really feel like, um, and I, then I tell clients just you know a few practical tips, which I'll share with your audience as well. And Steve, I don't know if you're doing these yet. If you're not, I'm going to follow up with you in like about a week, and I'm going to say like, have you started? Um, but so thought leadership one is you just need to do the mental work and figuring out, okay, what do I think about my industry? What do I think about my topic? And within that thought leadership, what are 10, you know, you can call them hot takes, but what are like eight to 10 things that you might believe differently about your topic or your industry than what everybody else is saying? So for example, on public speaking, one of mine is you should never end a presentation on a Q&A. I just, I think it's a really poor presentation. I, I say that before you speak, you should eat a bag of classic Lay's potato chips because it helps your nerves. So, but figuring out for you and your industry, what are your 10 hot takes about how can you sound different from all this clutter and noise and, you know, all this, um, these were all bombarded all day long about people's thoughts and opinions. But what are the, some of the unique, helpful things that you believe that could help others? So thought leadership was one. And then the second is to start keeping a story file. Steve, do you have a story file? So depends how you define that. I do have a uh, specific spot in my backpack with a an envelope that has like probably a hundred different um, note cards. And when I have ideas or thoughts, like so, so, so I don't know if that counts as a as a story file, but. Whatever you tell me I'm supposed to do, Eva, I'm going to do it. So <laughs> well, just... <laughs> maybe, maybe, I was like, maybe, maybe everybody should use your note card system. Well, sounds, I don't know. It, it came as a, somebody else was coaching and I heard them say that and I was like, okay. So I have that, but then I have a digital one, which is, this, this is where my, where I get, get wrong or get, get off track because I have a digital file that's uh, like a bad day file that just stuff that make me laugh. And there are some stories in there. So when I have a bad day, I go there and I click a link and watch a funny thing or Oh, remember when that person said that thing? It was so hilarious. So, yeah, whatever you, yeah, take it from take it from there. Yeah, 
Well, I think that's, I mean, I honestly, you're doing exactly what I tell clients to do, whether that is an analog method like note cards, or if you just start a notes app, label it story file. And a couple of times throughout the week, as things happen to you or interesting things, just jot a couple sentences down that will trigger your memory. Because especially when we, if you are regularly giving presentations that are maybe more data-driven or they're more facts-driven, Having that file that you can you can pull from and look back and say, oh, wow, you know, interesting things happen to me all of the time. So whether that's like, let's say maybe, you know, you got a flat tire, you jot that down, or you just, you just start recording some of these experiences that happen to you to refer back to later. And then the third thing I encourage clients to do, which it sounds like you kind of have a hybrid of this, is in the same way starting a humor file. We know that humor, um, you know, a big study was done last year by a company called Oracle and they uh, surveyed 12,000 people. And one of the things they found was that, you know, 92% of people, I think it was 91 or 92% of people prefer to buy from brands that are funny. Um, And if you think of yourself as a brand, if you think of your company as a brand, um, a lot of times, a lot of our content and our presentations just lack humor. And when I say humor, I do not mean that you are up there starting with a joke or cracking the funnies. I mean, I'm saying a general lightness, a levity, a self-awareness. So humor file is just start paying attention to what you find funny and jotting things down. Um, And I encourage people to do this as much as they can in the moment, just because we forget you know, like life moves on and stressful thing happens and we forget something that's funny earlier in the day. Um, And so just jotting things down, like, so for example, my humor file, just because I have a lot of, of kids, you know, kids say just ridiculous things, you know, all of the time. So like my four-year-old daughter, apparently she mimics me because the other day she just goes, I would do that, but I'm just so exhausted didn't say exhausted. She said exhausted. And I was like, oh my gosh, I think she got that from me. So I jotted that down. So like, you know, just these little funny things that happen in your family life, in your work life. And then just a great humor technique. It is probably one of the most effective in the workplace is the callback. Listen to speakers that before you in, in the meetings that you attend this week, instead of to some degree being kind of a passive recipient of the meeting, watch how that person's presenting. What do they do that's funny? If everyone in the room laughs, just jot a little note down about like why they laugh because maybe you can call back to that humor if you're delivering after that person or maybe even sometimes, um, you know, within within a few days, but know what's culturally funny at your company so that you can kind of play off that, whether, um, you know, that's kind of like a stereotype of someone who likes playing into that stereotype. It's never a good idea to like, you know, punch down or make fun of someone. But if someone in your office is like, everyone knows and that person loudly admits like they're always the one that's like bringing in donuts or whatever, like maybe you can make a joke or a, a little sense of levity around that. But Humor is one of those fascinating things that it's kind of like, you know, you start driving a car and then suddenly it's like everyone has this car and you think, wow, does everybody have this? But the same thing goes true with humor is when you start looking for that just levity and humor, you're going to start seeing it everywhere and just having a system to record it and keep track of it. That way, when, again, when you are giving a presentation, you think, oh, it'd be great to add some humor in here. What can I add? You can reference back this list. And then I always recommend the book, Humor Seriously. It was written by a couple of university professors, and they just really dissect humor in the workplace and how to use it effectively. That's good. Um, before we jump, I have to tell you, as you were talking, I'm like, oh my goodness, I need to consolidate. That's my one of my biggest takeaways because I'm not as consistent as like on a weekly basis of putting things in the humor file or story file. Um, but, but it I makes have, you feel better. Me neither. I mean, like I go through seasons, <laughs> I'll be so great. Yeah. And I give this advice and then I look down I'm like, oh, I'm behind on my own. <laughs> well, I got a, I got a piece of advice on the business side from this guy that was real high up HR guy. And he said, this is years ago. He said, you should have a monthly, uh, a, a monthly check-in or monthly upkeep. So I just, I have a tab in OneNote, a Microsoft folder, basically OneNote. It's called monthly upkeep. And I'll take screenshots of how the team did or if we hired somebody or if somebody moved on. And I just put the highlights of that. Hardly anything funny in there, but more stats and that kind of thing to remember. Uh, And his take was, as an HR person, you should always be ready to pull together a resume. For me, I just forget stuff because I just move on to the next task. 
Um, but on the humor side, my family knows this. My mother-in-law does know this as I tell the story, but um, I have a uh, notes section in my phone and I will stop whatever I'm doing and write it in there because she, <laughs> I love her, but she messes phrases up all the time. And she'll tell this story so confidently. And then she'll say this phrase that's completely, it's its like your four-year-old saying exhausted, but like, at least I, you knew that she was saying ex- exhausted. My mother-in-law will say these things and she'll just move on. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, Gail, what? <laughs> what did you, stepped off the bus, what does that mean? And she meant like they were confused by the situation or something like that. So I have that alongside a spit take file. So one of my goals in life is to have 10 true spit takes where I say something and it's well-timed and somebody <laughs> spits their drink out. Oh, of them. okay. So, I love so it. I, I've only got like four of them so far, but- um, What is one, one of, of them? Can you, can you share one yeah. of them? Oh yeah. Well, the most recent one was uh, one of our reps. She's been at CCB uh, a little over 25 years now. I think she just celebrated last year, 26 years. <clears throat> and her name is Paula. She knows this happened. This is not a secret. Um, and Paula, uh, she, she, she likes to drink beer. And so we were at a company event she had a, uh, a Miller Lite in her hand, and <laughs> she was talking about her husband. And uh, she's talking about him, and I said, hey, did you, uh, whatever with Chuck, like did, did the thing happen? Did you guys go wherever you went? And she was telling the story about Chuck. And wh- the backstory to this is that I dropped her off on her 20th anniversary at home after we had dinner with leadership team and her celebrating her 20th anniversary. So this is like five years before. And she comes home and Chuck had, we found out later, had like this mini stroke kind of a thing, messed up one of his eyes. And so fast forward five years later, six years later, we're in, we're at this company event and I was talking to her about Chuck and she was, I was like, Hey, you know, you're still head over heels with, you know, in love with Chuck. And she like made some joke like, yeah, right. I'm more in love with my dog or something like that. And I put my hand over my, <laughs> over my eye. And I said, you know, you came home and Chuck looked at you like this. And I put my hand over my eye and said, Paula, I still love you more than anything else. And she lost it. Beer came through her nose. And and so I was so proud that this senior rep thought it was funny that I was making fun of this. It's kind of dark humor because her husband's, you know, I and that kind of thing. We have a great relationship, obviously, but she lost it. So that was the most recent one. And it was... uh, it was a good one. It was a good one because it was not only a spit take, but it came through her nose and she had, there's no coming back from that. Like you, you know, you go with, go with it and you commit to it and that's it. You know, that's amazing. In future episodes, you should share the other three that you've accomplished <laughs> since you've been keeping track. I should, I should. Um, there's, there's, there are a couple of them that are like, I'd have to give the backstory of the inside humor kind of thing, but one was, you know, my wife, I, I will do that eventually. But um, coming back to this, you've got given some very specific uh, almost like therapeutic um, uh, examples to us. So you're like a coach and a speech therapist or something like that, where you're <laughs> coaching people through their fears and then also encouraging them. But getting, you know, keeping that spe- uh, specificity, is there a most important thing for making impactful speeches? And if so, not that it's a magic bullet, maybe there is a magic bullet, but not, I'm not necessarily going for that. But I want to know kind of if there's a secret sauce to this thing. What is that? And then how do we develop that and kind of build around that thing? Yeah, the secret, which some people might, might, might not like, is lots and lots of reps, doing it a lot. You only are going to get good by doing it a lot. And so if you can raise your hand at work and be the one that gives the presentation instead of your leader or your boss, raise your hand, offer to do it. If you can join um, a, so that's, you know, if, a lot of us, you know, depending on your company, we can have a little bit of death by meetings. But instead of just kind of going into meetings with, okay, it's a meeting, go in and, and think about the meeting. Spend 10 to 15 minutes thinking about the meeting before you go in it and say, what is something that I could speak up and contribute in this meeting? This is not a speech. It might be 15 seconds of comment, but starting to really think through like, okay, at work, what are some ways that I can start getting some of that practice in? There's also so many great, you know, Toastmasters, I think is it is a great organization and what they provide. Um, 
But starting, you know, there's so many opportunities now, you know, we talked a little bit earlier just about LinkedIn, start creating your own opportunities. You know, for some people listening, maybe that is going to be raising their hands at their church or in a community group to give a presentation. Maybe that is going to be starting to do, you know, LinkedIn lives or Facebook lives, starting to get content out there. Um, But don't wait. You know, there's so many ways to get reps in. So don't wait for someone to tap you on the shoulder because you need to be starting to develop those skills now. And sometimes even, you know, we've talked a bunch about storytelling or humor and try out some of those part stories at the next dinner party you're at. Like try telling a story in a different way. So instead of maybe telling your story linear, dive right in in the middle. Um, but practice, you know, practice, just start getting those reps in, whether it's a small rep um, or a bigger rep. You know, another another idea, which I've, I've um, kind of stolen from another speech coach because I thought it was such a great idea is... You know, consider at the end of the day, just recording a video of yourself for two to three minutes, just talking about your day and rewatching it um, to just kind of get in the pattern of, gosh, if I was trying to be communicating about my day, what am I going to share about it? Or if I was going to be communicating about this experience that I had at work where this co-worker really bothered me because I feel like I'm doing all of their work and they are not doing anything. Well, instead of just being, you know, frustrated about that, how could you turn that into some content? Um, maybe that you don't publish, you know, because again, <laughs> they're probably still at the company, but, but it's just kind of getting in that pattern of like, instead of viewing as like, I'm giving this big speech or like this huge thing, what are those small opportunities you have every day? that you can start utilizing and how can you create some of your own opportunities? Because the thing that I have found, and you know, I know I mentioned it when, you know, Dave Ramsey was practicing for six hours is that people that are great, when you think of great public speakers, it's because they spend a lot of time getting in reps, getting practice, iterating on what worked well, what didn't work well, improving their content, improving their delivery. It's a process and it's not going to be overnight. So the sooner you start, the better you're going to be. I mean, I myself have given a lot of speeches, but I still feel like, well, I'm not great yet. I need to give a lot more to become there. And so just kind of having that attitude of both humility and determination because anyone can improve as um, a public speaker. And then if I could share just one last little story there's this there's this famous story of of Warren Buffett and you know no matter how you feel about Warren Buffett for any other thing um, he's very successful you know I think I think I read recently he's worth about 118 billion dollars with a B and he he himself was terrified of public speaking and in his 20s he shares a very funny story you can find it you know if you dig just I think if you type in Warren Buffett public speaking on YouTube you can find it but he shares a story in his 20s of how he just he hated it to the point he even signed up for a public speaking class paid the, paid the money and then didn't go like just really hated it but then finally he decided okay I'm like I'm gonna dig in and, and learn this. And, and Warren Buffett says that he believes that an individual can increase their value to a company um, and just their own ability to create wealth by 50% by learning this ability to speak publicly. Um, and so I love that story of Warren Buffett because I think it just illustrates like, hey, you know, you can hate it, or you can love it, or you can fall somewhere in between. But with you know diligence and with times, it really can dramatically impact your ability to lead your team and to share your ideas outside of your company and to really just move your own f- career forward. What I heard you just say, it's a couple different things. One was earlier on, you said just because it looks easy doesn't mean it is. People are putting in the work behind the scenes. Just because somebody can dunk a basketball doesn't mean that the hoop is lower. Um, they put it, they put in the work. Yeah. They might be six feet tall or six, six or whatever, but they're still jumping from the free throw line. They put the work in, um, then there's no shortcut. So the secret sauce, do the work, (laughs) do the reps, maybe create your own opportunities, uh, but, but get the reps in. And that ties even back to something, uh, the book you referenced with uh, atomic habits. Uh, sometimes it's just getting up and tying your shoes versus getting up and going to the gym, get your shoes on. Then the next day, get your shoes on and go outside, just like, you know, James Clear talks about. So within within this same vein of thought or train of thought, a little bit of a shift back to some of the LinkedIn content that you've posted. Recently, you posted something about signature speeches. And you don't have to go through the whole thing. I want people to be able to check it out for themselves. But as an example of some of the content that you're putting out, if you could help us understand uh, what is a signature speech, you know, who needs one, 
and you know maybe the the framework of of creating one that captivates an audience you know signature speeches what is that yeah absolutely um so that is you know it is it is a lot a lot to it but a signature speech is basically what is the topic that you are going to be known for so when your name comes up what do people think about um, and so it's kind of essentially is, is branding yourself around a message that you could give again and again and again, a signature speech is a talk that is core fundamental to who you are, what you believe, what you think about that topic. And you've created and you've crafted a speech that you can give again and again and again. So if you are asked to speak somewhere instead of just recreating the wheel every time, um, which sometimes, you know, you do need to do to really tailor your uh, content to the audience. But, you know, what do you, what do you talk about? So if you're going to invite James Clear, he's going to talk about habits. He's known for being the habit guy. You know, like, I mean, yes, he's known for other things. He's a great writer. He's, but like, you're going to invite James Clear because, to talk about habits because like that is what he's known for. You know, if you're going to invite Jamie Kern Lima, um, you know, you know, you're going to be hearing her entrepreneur story of becoming, you know, selling her company for a billion dollars. Like that is, is what these people are known for. So what do you want to be known for? And you start really thinking through what you think about the topic, what you know about the topic and start really formulating your thoughts about it. And creating something that you can you can deliver again and again. And there's lots of steps of how do you actually create it and what all needs to be included in it. In general, you know you need to include your story, why you're passionate about it, what happened in your life to be a catalyst to be talking about this, your expertise, how does your professional experience or work experiences play into to that topic. And then if, if fitting, like I mentioned earlier, maybe you do have a system or framework or something that you share with listeners that they can apply to their life. As I mentioned, I work for Dave Ramsey. So for him, you know, he has seven baby steps and that's really what he's known for. He talks about entree leadership and he, all of these other things, but like at the base, he's known for being a financial guy who created the seven baby steps. So it's really just determining like, what do I want to be known for? And then you get out there, you create the message and you start talking about it and not necessarily always just in speeches, but you start talking about it online. Um, you know, as you show up starting to post on LinkedIn, because I expect everyone who's heard this podcast to start posting on LinkedIn. <laughs> That's right. And when we have you, uh, at an impact of leadership event, I'm, I'm guessing your in quote signature speech, people will expect you to talk about giving effective speeches. <laughs> yeah. You know, my, uh, my you husband laughs. He's like, you've made a career talking about talking. And I'm like, it's the best. Yeah. <laughs> it, well, it's true. It's true. But if you showed up, I'm sure people might be interested in the story about your mom and her tomatoes, but that's not going to be the feature. Uh, or then they probably might reference the four-year-old. How's your, how's your family doing? Is, you know, is your four-year-old still exhausted? But like, <laughs> yeah, the signature speech is, you know, it's going to be, how do you give a great speech? So that that's very helpful, and I, I you did a great job. I know that was a couple of questions fired at you. That's that's a big big topic, but again, it's it's pointing back to the content that you put out and the help that you're giving people. Uh, it's not just signature speeches; it's many other things as well. For example, I downloaded uh, a resource from you called "The Twelve Questions You Must Ask for a Killer Speech." I have that on my laptop. I referenced it. Uh, I gave a, a talk alongside Patrick, uh, who's my partner with Impact Leadership at the Wisconsin Literacy, uh, their uh, yearly event up in Madison, Wisconsin, just, just recently. So I've referenced it. I use it. Um, I'd love for you to go over just a few of the questions. You don't got to go through all of them that people should be asking themselves as they prepare to give a speech. So maybe what are three or five questions that we need to ask? Yeah, and this is a free resource on my um, landing page, thespeakshop.com. And those questions include, and then I, you know, I deep dive each of them and, and try to give examples. But, um, you know, a few, a few ideas that we haven't already pulled out in our conversation with stories and humor and those are in there. But do I, am I using jargon? You know, like, especially if you're speaking outside, we, we make assumptions that people, um, you know, what we're talking about. So Am I using jargon? Is there a current or cultural event that I must address to be relevant? You know, if you're speaking in a city and there was a huge bombing the day before, you don't want to look insensitive for not making a comment. Now, that's not to say you need to address every single cultural issue, but if there's a big one, you should at least kind of have that that self-awareness. And the last question in there that I really like people to think of, think through is like, if you, from a content perspective, were ranking this talk on a scale of one to 10, what would you give it? 
And are you okay with that? So you might be okay with a five or six because of the circumstance, the time you had, and maybe that's what you want. But if, if you do, um, you know, if you do want to level up and if you're looking at your content going, well, I'd give this a seven. Well, how can you, how can you level it up? Could you add some more humor? Do you need to make your point clearer? Can you add in pause? Um, that's another one is, as have I let my content do I realistically have the right amount of content for the time that I have? Sometimes because we're so passionate about our thing, we want to just give people everything and cram it all in. But sometimes we just need to edit it out and simplify it because we all have the curse of knowledge and we all get too close to our content where, you know, we feel like people need to know everything. There's so many things to know, but like, you need to just take a step back and go, okay, do I need to cut some out here to just like let my content breathe, allow myself to have space for pausing or feeding off the energy of the room? So those are a few of the questions. Like I said, I outlined 12 and try to give some practical tips of how to um, apply, you know, how to apply the 12 questions as well. I will have a link to your landing page so people can get this uh, free resource in the show notes. Uh, I'll, I'll, outline that in, in the outro, but it's just another thing that you, another reason for you, the listener, for me, the, the, the follower of Eva to, to continue to follow. And if you are, if you aren't, you need to engage with Eva in that way. Well, um, Eva, you are a joy. I get why Dave Ramsey said that you're the greatest employee that he's ever had on staff. I think that was <laughs> well, the quote. He didn't, he, think, he didn't exactly say that, but I'll take it. That sounds great. <laughs> you can blame me again. Yeah. If we're going to name it and claim it with the 50 to 100,000 followers, you can, <laughs> you can blame me for that one as well. But I, I do get why people are latching onto this topic because it's, it's a topic that everybody in leadership at some point is going to deal with. But I get also why the combination of this topic with the person that's delivering the message, which is you that combination is why people are following you on LinkedIn and, and latching onto it because the same content delivered by somebody who doesn't live it out or display humility would not land well. And so keep doing what you're doing. Thank you we so much. People. And thanks Seriously, for- Seriously, I mean that, yeah. And thank you so much for having me on this podcast. This has been fun. Yeah. And I know you told me that, you know, it tends to be like 30 minutes, but like I said, I've made a career talking about talking and I could, I well, could talk about this for five more hours for I the record. Know. And I, I, ch- I told you earlier on, if I start chasing my curiosity, then we're going to keep going. But to close us out, um, I'll, I'll leave it to you from here. What encouragement do you have for the leader who's, who's got a talk to give? Yeah, for the leader who has a talk to give and they're feeling nervous about it, you know, reframe how you're thinking about it. That if you're feeling nervous, don't think of it as nerves. Think about it as excitement waiting to be expressed. And the fact that like, wow, somebody thought enough of you to give you this opportunity to speak to your team, or you believe so much in it. If you're, you know, the top dog, the CEO, you believe in it so much that you have the opportunity to share this with the people in the audience. And like your message is not about you and your own performance or your own content. It's about how it's going to impact that person in the audience, you know? So as you're thinking through your content, as you're thinking through that presentation, don't be thinking it through with all the I statements. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. I'm going to get up and blah, blah. Think of it through like, wow, I can't wait for Steve, who I know is going to be there to be able to hear this. Like, oh, this is really going to help Julie in her job. You know, so the more audience centric you can be as you're thinking through this presentation, the more powerful it's going to be for your audience and for you as well in that whole experience. Again, Eva, this has been fantastic. This will not be the last time that we engage with you from, from IOL to you and our listeners are going to get a ton from this. And I, again, I hope that you just do tenfold uh, what you're already doing because it's it's great, the content that you're giving, but also the way that you're doing it. So thank you for taking time to be with us. Well, thank you so much for having me. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, welcome. You've made it almost to the end of the episode. Every episode where I interview someone, I do takeaways and action items to distill down a couple things that I was taking notes on because I'm a participant in this as well. So first of all, the takeaways. I've got several of them, four to be exact. First of all, publicly build your personal brand, your voice now. Start on LinkedIn. Two, writing it down helps to clarify what you think. Three, The greats are great because they do great work. They put in the reps. There's no shortcut to delivering a great talk. Number four, people buy systems, strategies, and frameworks. 
That was so good when she said that. I know you love that too. People buy systems, strategies, and frameworks. And the question is, does your talk have a logical framework or does it need to be reworked? Action items. Thought leadership. What are your eight to 10 hot takes that you believe about your industry that separate you from the noise? Number two, start a story file. Put weekly, monthly, add to it, but make sure it's a central place that you can put stories like I'm exhausted or the, the tomato story or... For example, I have the uh, the monthly upkeep that that HR person long ago had me put a file together every month. Number three, start a humor file. 92% of people prefer to buy from brands that are funny. Our friend Eva told us that. Start a humor file. Maybe it's your mother-in-law saying the wrong things. Maybe it's your mom, like she talked about with her mom's tomatoes. Or it's, you know, you got somebody doing spit takes. Number four, Follow Eva on LinkedIn and get her 12 questions for a killer speech. It's a free download. You're going to love it. If you liked what you heard in this episode, I have a simple ask. Send it to someone. We want to bring value to more folks that are just like you, but we don't know your friends. And we need your help to get the message to your friends. So if you do that, we thank you. Now, if you go beyond that and you leave a comment or a review in whatever platform you're listening to this on, uh, we read all of them. And it helps us know that it's not just Patrick's mom that listens to this thing. Hi, Patty Booth. Scroll down to see the spot that says, all caps, show notes, and find some links to follow up with Eva or the Impact of Leadership with content and value. We've got over 130 episodes in our podcast library and over 75 blogs with practical leadership lessons. Check the show notes, hit those links, follow Eva, get her download. There's more for you here. Now, I can't wait to be with you all again soon, but from us at The Impact of Leadership, thank you for listening.